Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation, or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled Divine Submission, and our guest is Dr. Lynn Anderson, who also happens to be my father. Well, I'm here today with my father, Dr. Lynn Anderson, who has uh, been many years of service to the church and continues to do so. He's been pastored, preached at uh, several ch- churches, started a couple of churches in Canada, uh, written numerous books, uh, such as uh, They Smell Like Sheep and The Shepherd's Song and what some other uh, titles of your books, Dad. Oh, one's called, if I really believe, why do I have these doubts? Oh, yes, I've given that to many many of my students. Navigating the winds of change. Mm -hmm. A few like that that are pretty dated now. And one uh, that I call Talking Back to God, which is about the Psalms and the use of the Psalms. And that's your most recent book, right? Yeah. And Longing for a Homeland. Was, yeah, Longing for a Homeland. That one's a bit autobiographical, but not totally. It's about Moses. To somebody who might be listening to this podcast, which one would you recommend uh, that they start with? Well, if we're talking, assume now that you're going to be talking, we're going to be talking to ministers and church leaders. Uh, one of my two books called They Smell Like Sheep. Volume one is about the role of shepherds, spiritual leaders, elders, pastors. And the second one, this Smell Like Sheep, Volume 2. Okay. Which is uh, about uh, the heart of the shepherd. First one's about the role. Second one's about the heart. So, Okay, uh, and what about the person who's listening to this for marriage help? Oh, goodness. I, I, I decided years ago not to try to book, write a book on that. <laughs> I used to have a sermon called Ten Rules for Marriage, and then I had a the second one that I called 10 Suggestions for Marriage. And then when you kids came along, I threw them both away. <laughs> okay, well, um, so that was at least 52 years ago. Uh, what uh, <laughs> what that, that, that book, um, the one that you wrote about the Jesus... The Jesus Touch would Jesus. probably be uh, it's it's more about relationships than most of them are. It's about how uh, 
how Jesus treats people in various relationship settings. Yes, that's that's one I think a lot of our <clears> listeners <throat> would, yeah. would be. It's been used by a lot of small groups, Sunday school groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, seems to have had a little second life lately. Well, uh, <clears throat> my, my dad here has had a lot of influence on me and that's not just because he's my dad of course if you're someone's father even if you're <laughs> if you you're never met your father they have a lot of influence yeah. on you a lot of negative influence yes but uh <clears throat> so that's that 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 can't be understated how how influential your father is you fathers are on your children whether you want to be or not you're going to be um it's just the, the matter of choice of what kind of influence <laughs> you're going to be uh but I remember we as children, uh, my, my dad would ask me every day when he came to tuck me in every evening, what did I read about? And very often I didn't read, so I would say God. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd make something up. Yeah, so I'd make something up. But no, most of the time I did. And so it was very important. He emphasized that we're, that we're in reading God's word every day. Uh, but he also uh, would assign us scriptures to memorize, and there was only one scripture that ever he ha- assigned us to memorize that had a reward on, attached to it if we memorized it, and that was First Corinthians thirteen, which uh, talks about love being the ultimate. It is the highest principle. Yeah. It is the essence of God. Yes. And it defines what love is as uh, not things that you feel and. Uh, uh, touchy-feely words. It's about action mm-hmm. and what you do, and so uh, that that has had profound effect on me. It's um, I, I remember as as a child, um, some other people of in the religious world would uh, who didn't like the things that my dad taught. And I remember one of them accusing him being, "You're a Beatles preacher." And, Beatles, <laughs> yeah, Beatles preacher. Um, specifically, this the song "All You Need Is Love." <laughs> right. You preach a, a, a "All You Need Is Love" gospel, and um, I'm actually, um, I kind of believe in that gospel today more than ever. <laughs> I, I figured you did. So I wanted to. My, my father has instilled in me that the ultimate, the ultimate thing in this world is love, because that's the essence of God, and that's the highest commandment. In Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and with and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love, and and on those two commandments hand hang all the law and the prophets, which was understood. Yeah, is, I was taught early on that all all the commandments of God are of equal value. Every statement in the Bible is of equal weight, but Jesus blew that away when someone asked him. What's the greatest commandment? He didn't say they're all the same. He said there's none like this one. Yes. And it 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 embodies uh, the whole of the of the law and the prophets uh, and the Psalms, <laughs> and that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, I decided to come back to the source of where I um, was introduced that to that concept and have staked my life on it now and, and get a little bit of his perspective on marriage. Now, the perspective I've asked him to comment on 
is this perspective he's the most familiar with, which is the church. And I wanted to start off by reading this verse. I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, and I want to, if you already heard me say Ephesians 5 and yours perked up because you're thinking of of a possibly divisive verse and, and all kinds of interpretations, we're going to try to uh, talk about something that we may not talk about in that verse so often. So here it goes, starting uh, with Ephesians 5 at 21, I'm reading from the NIV. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from the Old Testament there. This is a profound mystery. Yes. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> yes. So we... we, uh, we very often use that verse mainly to talk about the marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. But Paul says, I'm talking about Christ in the church. (laughs) He says, he does after that say, however, you should still be doing that uh, in the temporal sense, in the earthly sense, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So a verse that we very often use mostly just to talk about how husbands and wives are supposed to behave He's saying this is really about something bigger than that. <laughs> well, Paul said that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, that verse is quite often used to show that uh, in marriage, the husband is the head of the house. And basically, when the vote comes to a tie, he gets to decide. He gets to decide. And, uh, and it's, it's turned into all kinds of negative things where some people use this verse to say women shouldn't work outside the home. They should stay home and take care of the house and do what their husband says and uh, support his career and follow him and, you know, stand behind him and smile while he's doing his thing, sort of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the word submit is quite often used as a, a lever that the husband will use if he's got this good Christian wife and he wants X and she wants Y, he will say, uh, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to be submissive. Uh, submission is something that is chosen, not something that is pushed off onto somebody. When you tell your wife to submit, that's not submission, that's compliance. Right. Quite often, reluctant compliance. Yeah, I've I've in, I've had actual counseling therapy sessions where a husband's complaining that he can't get his wife to submit. Yeah, and I will say, so what? Uh, where are you getting this from? Well, Ephesians five, you Ephesians should know five. that. And I say, well, where in there does it say that you're supposed to get your wife to submit? 
Yeah. I, I think you're supposed to be reading the part that applies to right. you. Right. The, the, the <laughs> submission is something a woman, what, in that case, the woman would choose to do. However, we ignore the 21st verse quite often when we get into this discussion because the 21st verse uh, lays a principle down that he's been talking about for several chapters in the book of Ephesians to get there. The first half of all of Paul's epistles are about the Jesus part. And the second part about so what is in the last half of the epistles. And the whole first part is about what God has done, what Christ has done, and our response is to adore and follow him. And uh, our hearts are changed and we put others before ourselves and so forth. So we finally come down to start the so what part, which seems to start in early parts of the later parts of chapter four and early parts of chapter five. But in verse 21, it says, here's a principle that flows out of the Jesus part. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the principle. Submit yourselves to one another. And then he talks to women and then he talks to men. So he's saying... Submit to each other, not just wives to the husbands. It's mutual submission, right? Submit to the wives. First, he says, "Wives submit your husbands." Then he describes that, and then he says, "Doesn't use the word submit." He just describes the process. Yes, that's my understanding. Uh, yeah. the, the word that is trans, the Greek word from the original text that's translated "submit" in twenty-one is not actually used in twenty-two. No, because um, it, uh, no, I, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I, I thought you were going to go another direction because when the, when it gets to the man, it says, it doesn't say to the men, submit yourselves to your wives. It's, it doesn't use those words. It just tells them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm-hmm. How does the, you know, why do I respond as a Christian, why does the church respond to Jesus? Because he died for us. So that's just one thing. He gave himself up for us. We didn't We didn't intend to, to get hit too much on this, but it's just food for thought. We're not going to dive too much into that. But for some of the, those who just uh, remember the verse 22 that says, wives, yeah. Uh, it, the verse before that says, submit both ways. Mutual submission. This, Mutual. This, sex, this section of scripture is the beginning of a quite a long section where he talks about how the whole principle of what Jesus has done is to be lived out in life. Then he goes to children and parents and masters and slaves, etc., etc. So Christ submitted himself to us and to God yeah. by he died denying, on the denying everything in life, all yeah. the quote-unquote good stuff, and then eventually dying for us. And that's his half the submission, and then our half is the Bride of Christ is to submit to him. I was going to title this this episode Holy Husbands and Unfaithful Wives. But I I, I still might, just for just to, as a teaser to get some people interested. But he's really talking about our relationship with Christ. He really is, but the point is in marriage, his whole point is mutual submission. 
Here he says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, wife submit, husband submit. In other words, he's laying a principle and then applying it in marriage. And it means that both are to submit. In other words, if there's going to be a competition in marriage, it ought to be out, out of who submits the most. <laughs> That's the loving thing to do. In other words, how do I serve the best interest of my mate? Okay. That's that's really the principle involved. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So um, coming from a church perspective, where do you see where we get this wrong or where we disobey this scripture? And how does that play out in, in the church setting <clears throat> that you've witnessed over and over again? Well, you know, I like the way that you pointed out that this passage ends with, after he's done all this conversation about marriage and husbands and wives, he says, I'm actually talking about the church here. You know, you know, he's using marriage kind of in a, a, a subversive way to talk about the church, or maybe using the church in a subversive way to talk about marriage. That's why he says it's a profound mystery. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe one of them. Yeah, your mother, one of your mother's favorite books on marriage. You know, people always ask us marriage and family questions. Her favorite book is is a book written by a Canadian, so it's got to be a good book. But the title of the book is The Mystery of Marriage. In other words, by by the way, listeners, don't hold us against the, don't hold this against us. But both myself and my dad were born in Canada, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't necessarily make us smarter than the average bear, right? But we're sorry for being born in Canada. <laughs> right. <laughs> We got here as quick as we could. Anyway, uh, where were we? Um, the mystery of marriage. Or, you know, the whole point being that these books that write the rules for marriage and the rules for child rearing and all this, they might have applied in one couple's life at one point in their life, but the time the book got written, it didn't apply to them anymore, but now it becomes rules for the rest of us. <laughs> that no, rather we should look at marriage as a certain amount of which is a dance that's a mystery that has to be played out in any given marriage differently than it would be played out in another marriage because we're, we're unique human beings. Not to say there aren't basic principles. Uh, my understanding, you're, of course, you're, the, you're a professional in the marriage and family uh, world. My, my, my son is a marriage and family uh, counselor, therapist, and has done therapy for years, but he's mostly now does another kind of marriage coaching, which he's finding more effective. Uh, but his view, he, 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 his interests and his expertise flow more toward uh, marriage than family. Am I representing that correctly? Well, yeah, I focus more on on marriage because I believe, first of all, that it's next to impossible to have good family without having good marriage. Right. In, in other words, sort of to use a, to, to to use my words instead of yours, uh, healthy marriages, healthy families. Mm-hmm. It it usually flows that way. Right. Where I'm more, you know, my I don't have any great area of expertise, but my interest in church life <clears throat> was influenced a lot by, um, excuse me. <clears throat> you know what? While you're getting a sip of water, I want to, mm-hmm. 
I want to clarify something on a statement I just made. Um, those of you who have broken marriages, I am in no way saying that you can't have a wonderful family. Yes. Um, the relationship between the husband and wife, it is important <clears throat> that that be a loving, growing relationship, healthy relationship for the family to be healthy as well. Yes. But there are, well, let me say it this way. We, as an elder at my church, we have, uh, most Sundays, we have people come up and pray with us. And uh, there's a time when they say, okay, if you want prayers, the elders are here and uh, their spouses to pray with you. And, and hardly uh, a month goes by, so at least one out of every four Sundays, Somebody will come up to me and say, I need prayers for my, about my ex because they're making my life miserable. Mm-hmm. And I will pray with them. And then when I finish praying, almost always I will ask that person, does your spouse know that you love them? And they'll often look at me like I'm from another planet or that I didn't hear them right. Mm-hmm. And they will say, this is my ex we're talking about. And I will say, yes, I, I understand does your ex-husband or ex-wife know that you love them? And they still will often give me that weird stare like, <laughs> do you understand what ex means? And I will tell them, look, if you want your life to be better, um, the reason they may be causing you uh, a lot of strife, grief, mm-hmm. is because they believe that you're against them. Mm-hmm. And... So you, you, marriage does not stop somebody from loving somebody else. A divorce, I should say. Mm-hmm. Divorce re-labels uh, the relationship, mm-hmm. but there's still a relationship there. Mm-hmm. And you have to, if you want your own life to be better, you have to start loving this person if you're not doing so already. Yeah. And if you want your children's lives to be better, yeah. then that relationship between mom and dad has to be uh, moving towards a, a healthy, loving relationship. Right. Well, and that affects the family. Yes, and I was going to say my, my, my view then of, of how that works is what I guess in the, in the business is called family systems therapy. Um, I don't know about that, but my good friend, Dr. Royce Money, former president of ACU, um, used to say frequently that a church, after it's all said and done, is a whole lot like a family, uh, especially normal-sized churches, not necessarily the size of the church where you're an elder. It's more like a, a pretty good-sized city, <laughs> but, but it's huge. But um, I think Dr. Money is, speaks not just about churches, but about most any organization, human system, community, uh, more like a family than anything else. And, 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 and when you apply family systems to that, that means that the persons who lead the system, uh, inevitably wh- how they function is going to influence very heavily how the whole system functions. How the leaders themselves function, yes. Mean like in their how they relate with each other okay. and with the, and with the people they're leading. Okay. Uh, in, in in a lot of, in our particular tribe of church, it's elder 
manager-led. Uh, that's the theory. Usually there is the person who is the, the visible leader, maybe the preacher, the pastor, the guy that's up front talking the most. Minister. And so for that reason, he becomes more de facto the central leader. But um, maybe to illustrate what I'm talking about here, um, there's a book that I often recommend to people, ministers. It's called The Leader's Journey. And there are three different, Harrison Creech and somebody else, the uh, authors. Uh, it, it starts out with a, a, a pastor's retreat. And there are two ministers there that have just been fired. And as they unpack their stories, it sounds at first blush like they were fired for very, very different reasons. But the more you start scratching under the surface, the reasons are the same. And that is that they inflicted their own pathologies onto the system and the system uh, began to reflect their pathologies and that's what ejected them. It became unworkable. Okay. Is that making sense? Yes. So we use in, in our group, Hope Network, um, as we work with churches, the slogan, healthy leaders, healthy churches. In other words, the way that leaders function, the healthier their personal, person, own personal health is emotionally, and the healthier they live with each other, the healthier the church is likely to be. It doesn't mean that, like you were saying, that uh, sometimes unhealthy churches have some really wonderful people come out of them. Mm. Or in some very healthy churches have some uh, very unhealthy people. Really <laughs> jerks come out of them, which, of which I am evidence. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's that similarity. So we, 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 we usually use another slogan to go with this, is that you know, as a church, as a, this organization, in many ways, we're counter counterculture, because in our, especially Western American, upper middle class, mostly white culture, but through the rest of the cultures, success is very important, and success is de defined as progressive realization of worthwhile goals. Well, from a systems perspective, and I think from a Christian perspective, uh, success isn't that high of a goal. And it's certainly not necessarily getting what you want progressively, that, that sometimes the process of trying to resolve a problem or reach a goal is far more important because it it trains and produces what the people will be like in that system. The system produces its kind. So it sounds like you're saying that one of the overlaps you see that happens in marriage as well as in churches, and this is part of that profound mystery, is that churches focus so often on reaching goals and on programs and on um, what are they going to, how are they going to 
what uh, what kind of how are they going policy to get are they going to implement to get to yeah. a certain place? Yeah, what? and 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 the the pastor may often have an awesome plan for that church. Yeah, and even an off, awesome way to implement it, but it is ultimately going to fail if, if the pastor himself is not uh, the preacher. The ministers are not growing themselves and becoming more more like Christ. Yes. In other words, uh, success is sometimes crassly defined by pastors, preachers, other church leaders, you know, behind closed doors as bucks in the plates and butts in the pews. (laughs) In other words, success is your church getting more and more people and the finances to finance more and more stuff they'll get more and more people. Uh, and so the emphasis gets, that's how, then the, the, um, then the ends um, start creating means that aren't justifiable. So in, in the marriage translation of this, I would say the parents are often focused on getting keeping the kids out of trouble and getting them through school and into a good job well, yeah, and finding and a good mate. That's right. I'm supposed to have this model marriage that produces these model kids and they've got to make they've got to be the captain of the team. They gotta win at everything they do or they're losers. Yeah, they're failures. And so I create this artificial objective for my my marriage and for my families and then the other thing that the culture does is that means that a leader is a strong person that can make this stuff all happen. Yes. And how begins to not matter. Mm-hmm. You can feel it in the political environment nowadays. So the parent, um, the, again, the, the path, pathological parent <laughs> as opposed to the pathological minister is focused um, on the hows too, so they're doing a lot of reading of books of how to parent and how to motivate this and yeah. how to unmotivate that, as opposed to focusing on yeah. their example, their their life, and and knowing that there's going to be a lot of um, failures and stuff, but that mm-hmm. they're instead they're growing along with the the, the children. They, right, and they tend our tendency is as church leaders is then to uh, bring the social sciences into play, learn how to manage a successful family or a successful church, successful. Whereas every family is going to look a little different. Uh, Success for one person may be very different than for another. Um, um, A lot of the healthiest people in the world are people that live in comfortable community um, as poor people mm-hmm. and not near the level of anxiety and suicide and depression and substance abuse as there might be in competitive levels where if I'm not the, if I'm not the, the quarterback I don't shouldn't play the game you know so in church a um, a program driven 
success-driven church starts to operate out of fear. Yes, uh, because, I think so. Because they are focused on fear attaining of goals, and if they don't attain the goals, then they failed. Yeah. And so now they're in a, they've, they've created an environment of fear, yeah. which then produces anxiety, which then becomes everything's about about dealing with the anxiety, and they are missing the whole point. Maybe, maybe that's yes. I think that's true. That's the uh, that's the uh, the wizard behind the behind the curtain is probably fear of failure, fear that I won't measure up to the church down the street, and so forth. But the means become sometimes that uh, they. This is why we use the slogan that the process is more important, or in Canada, the process is more important than the product. Uh, in other words, how we, how we go about causing a church to grow is more important than whether or not it grows at the rate we think it should. Does the process itself develop healthy people healthy Christians, or does it develop guilt-ridden, anxiety-ridden, competitive uh, persons? That <laughs> There's a, a lady that uh, spoke at ACU two or three years ago. Her name is Rachel Held Evans. And uh, she talks about when she was at, she grew up in a, in a, in a, um, seminary professor's family and uh, so she knew all the christian stuff and she went to christian high school and christian college and she said i was voted the christian of the year two or three times and you have no idea how many heads you got to step on to win that (laughs) (laughs) and that was obviously a humorously grotesque way of stating the problem of of being more product focused than process focused. Yes. Because the process is what produces. This is why healthy leaders, whether it's family or churches, have a whole lot better shot at, you know, healthy ways of doing things as a couple have a whole lot better shot of having healthy children that function in healthy ways. And the same is true of churches. That I, that <clears throat> brings to mind a scene Probably most people, I think it came out in the 70s, late 70s. Uh, uh, it was called The In-Laws. There was a remake of the movie. But where the, the it's a comedy, but the, the, the dad who's, people can't figure out there's something going on with him. He's always getting up from the table and making these, going off into another room to make yeah. these phone calls. And comes they, they find out he's a CIA agent. Yeah. That he doesn't, he's not supposed to be known for that. He's, he's you know, he's got this business... But uh, so she's his daughter sitting there with her fiance and his fiance's parents around the dinner table, and uh-huh. he gets up to go make his phone call, and the, and the mother says, "Oh, he's making one of his phone calls," and and uh, he comes back from the phone call, sits down at the table, and the daughter's all embarrassed, and and she starts to, "Why do you always have to go make these phone calls?" And he says, "It's those phone calls that put you through college, you know." <laughs> Yeah, and, the old thing. Yes, and uh, so in other words, I, where I'm going with that is that uh, translating what you're saying to marriage, we often think we're doing the best thing for our children by 
stepping on heads and yeah. and yeah. but the process of doing all that is what they're really learning. Yeah. They're not learning so much what they uh, that education that we paid for by stepping on the heads and yeah. and and working late and not being there as as much as the process of. And my yes, and my point is that the biblical, the Christian perspective on this is the way up is down. In other words, Jesus wasn't trying to produce uh, a legion of winners in terms of people who are to progressively realize uh, worthwhile goals, like it's worthwhile that I be very wealthy or, you know. He was saying, he that is greatest among you will be the servant. And uh, each of you should put others ahead of self. And a friend lays down his life for a friend. And uh, blessed are those who are persecuted and poor, etc., etc. Uh, peacemakers. That 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 process produces loving, humble, uh, um, non-anxiety-ridden kind of persons. Uh, it, and when the church kind of survives from event to event and goal to goal, it quite often gets into a place where it's driven by false motivations and produces the false kind of fruit. Uh, Bill Hybels tells about, I've heard him tell this about how, you know, for a church to get large, it's got to get smaller. In other words, you start with relationships and and equipping and discipleship. That he, someplace he went to speak, where they were revving up for their upcoming revival. And they had a little practice session before he preached that morning. Because the way they were going to do it was, it was during football season, so they were going to have uh, footballs they would give to their members, and they would make a call on a non-saved family and leave a football in their home. And the way they collect these footballs up was to get them to come to church. And they had goalposts at the front, and every time someone came to Christ, that Sunday morning, they kicked the ball through the <laughs> through the uprights, and so people were celebrating, you know, through the uprights who who brought the most balls to church and kicked them <laughs> most through the uprights. And another one was where a, a, a friend of mine actually, uh, for their vacation Bible school, they'd have a a bicycle, big fancy bicycle, chained to the pulpit for weeks before the VBS started. It was going to be the prize of the kid that brought the most kids to the VBS. Well, you know, what does this produce yes. in terms of uh, those who are the greatest among you will be the servant, each consider other better than themselves. So it's, this is all about, he's really, it's about heart. Comes back to this, the, 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 the Christian way, the body of Christ, in marriage or in the church, in family or in the church, it 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 sees things as a system. I'm not me and she's not her. We're married now. We become the players in a system and how we relate is going to affect those other little pieces of the system we're bringing into the world. Because they're going to relate in ways they learn from watching us relate. And if we're 
And the bigger the system gets, the bigger the problem gets, unless we start learning some healthier ways of doing things. And so, me as part of that system, I cannot fix the system, and I cannot for sure fix the other people in the system. The best I can do is is fix myself. Learn a better way of operating myself. And it doesn't mean you were a bad person or a sick person. It just means you learn from your parents and from your family tree Mm -hmm. ways of doing things that weren't it, they it, seem it, normal to you. And they worked in that system. And they seem counterproductive. You know, they counterintuitive. I'm so, I meant to say they seem counterintuitive. Uh, and so, yeah, the first thing we have to do is to figure out how we can function. I can function better. I noticed in your book, when you have groups come together, the first rule that you agree on is nobody confesses somebody else's sins. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that you, you don't try to fix your the other partner. You need to find out how to fix your end of what's making this thing tick or non-tick. Right. And that's the way Jesus operates all the way through. You know, when he says, why do you try to take a piece of sawdust out of somebody else's eye when you got a two-by-four sticking out of your own, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I'm still amazed they had two by fours back then. <laughs> right, <laughs> it might have been in six by eight. I don't know, but maybe, maybe it was measured in uh, <laughs> in in not furlongs. Anyways, <laughs> rods and <laughs> a stud beam. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the it's the whole idea is the only person I can really work with is myself. And yes, there are times we have to confront something that's really destructive behavior. You know, uh, the, the Bible talks about that, but that's a different thing than the normal functioning of a, of a system. It's, it's each one of us learning how to function differently. Those two pastors I told about that got fired for different reasons, they began realizing that what they were doing was causing the problems. And it was creating, it was proliferating them. Um, so they, if the thing is going to change, they have to change. Yes. Doesn't mean they can fix the people they've already broken, but they, they don't need to break them worse. <laughs> well, this profound mystery Paul's talking about, I'm sure we just touched on one little possible <laughs> aspect of the profound mystery, but I think this is a pretty big, a pretty big piece that uh, that. Paul might be talking about here. I've enjoyed it. Um, would like to jump into this even more, see if we can find some more profound pieces of this mystery. Well, thanks a whole lot, Dave. Yeah, it's fun talking with you. I need to learn some more from you, son. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com.
Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.